and welcome to Digital Health Unfiltered. It is just uh, me and Sidipto today, Nick Jeans here. And, you know, one of the great things about our IT digital health group is some of the cool technology we've seen over the years from, you know, smartphone apps that can do amazing functions to like dedicated uh, hardware and devices uh, for monitoring patients or uh, even even doing uh, lab grade testing. So, you know, we've seen a lot of cool stuff and uh, and it comes to our team's uh, attention and interest. And uh, we have to sometimes think about uh, the validity of the technology or the potential of the technology, but also how to incorporate that into our ecosystem here. And uh, today we're going to be talking about voice analysis. And you might remember in an earlier podcast, uh, we had been talking about how now that millions of Americans have tried telehealth and so many institutions and doctors are now familiar with providing telehealth uh, because of the COVID pandemic, it is, uh, we've been thinking it is a good time to consider using our audio and video setups for more than just uh, facilitating a conversation for actually like diving into the, the rich data that is, is being captured and, uh, and doing some things like uh, diagnosis or sentiment analysis or you know, risk stratification, things like that. So uh, we had talked in the past about what we could learn from tone of voice and analysis of facial expressions for, for patient satisfaction. And uh, we'd looked at uh, how there are some companies that specialize in um, smartphone usage patterns and to uh, identify mental health issues. Um, but today we want to talk about something different, and that is pure voice analysis for the purpose of diagnosing disease. Uh, and I'm going to turn it over to Sidipto because he was the one that first noticed these headlines. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Um, you know, just looking at some of the companies in this area, of course, very early stage, uh, and you're going to talk about a, sort of a few of them, you know, got us and got me really interested in mainly the possibility. You know, as you mentioned, you know, in our team, we look at things that are uh, a little away from the mainstream, but you know, have the potential for clinical care. You know, they got me excited that voice could be used uh, in so many ways. And we're just letting all those conversations that were happening with our patients, with our customers, uh, go to waste, literally, because you know, we could be, you know, analyzing them, mining them and looking at them for uh, really the, the diagnosis part of it, as you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. And I, I got to admit, you know, aside from uh, some of that sentiment analysis that we had talked about earlier, I didn't know just how far along the technology has come. But uh, there were these researchers at MIT that were looking at things like vocal cord strength, uh, lung performance, muscular uh, capabilities of your vocal cords. They were, they were calling them vocal biomarkers. And they were already kind of using them to uh, diagnose things like Alzheimer's disease and, and other kind of uh, degenerative disorders. Um, but it turns out the same vocal biomarkers uh, are also changed in a viral illness like COVID-19. So there was uh, an Israeli group uh, called Vocalis Health that, uh, you know, they had been making some headway on pulmonary hypertension and 
analyzing pulmonary hypertension through voice. And that's that's probably a good example because traditional diagnosis of pulmonary hypertension is, is not easy. It uh, requires a battery of pulmonary function tests, plus some labs, plus some imaging. And the gold standard is, is usually an invasive uh, procedure. So it's you know, finding a, a reliable and cheap and quick way to diagnose pulmonary hypertension can actually be a game changer because uh, that can, can end up being a significant illness. Uh, so these companies had been kind of setting up a framework for how they would operate, and they were collecting voice samples through an app on a smartphone and then passing it through various filters to analyze them. And they were looking at uh, I, I did a little deep dive and I learned about some of these vocal biomarkers like jitter and shimmer and ratio of harmonics to noise, and fundamental frequency of vocal cord vibration, um, just really kind of uh, esoteric terms to, to me. But I guess uh, over the years, a real uh, field of study has, has come up about these vocal biomarkers. And uh, even how long can you hold a vowel? That's uh, that's you know, one of the things that they're looking at. So all these factors go into how our voice can be characterized. And um, when we get sick, these vocal biomarkers seem to deviate in predictable and detectable ways. Um, and you just need to hold your phone uh, recorder at a standard distance and the, the app can guide you in the right way to kind of speak and what to say and, and how to hold the phone. And, um, and after you take a deep breath and give your voice sample, um, they pass it through their filters and their algorithms and they end up saying, you know, you have your voice has changed and you might not have pulmonary hypertension or more lately, you might have COVID-19. And it's the COVID-19 patients that tend to have uh, less control over their laryngeal muscles and more of a tremor compared to healthy people. And that is related to a lot of inflammation from the dry coughs that changes your, your jitter and your shimmer. And you end up with the breathier voices uh, that, that change some of the other biomarkers. Um, I, I yet to see data saying that, you know, COVID-19 causes specific changes that aren't present in, say, bronchitis or uh, another viral URI or something like that. Um, so, you know, I don't know how amazing this technology really is, but uh, it still could could be valuable, especially if it's, it's being set up to just listen in on telehealth conversations and kind of uh, give advice to the care team. That, that, that was my take on the technology, Sidipto. What did you think? Yeah, I think um, I mean, these are some great examples. And this is the kind of stuff that really gets our team excited. You know, voice has been a, front, a new frontier for, for several years now. Um, more in the area of machines posing as humans. We've seen a ton of companies where, and of course, we've seen the the big uh, Google Sundar Pichai is a video where hairdresser appointments were being booked and so on, where machines are pretend, pretending to be humans. I think what we're talking about here is reverse. I just wanted to make that point to highlight how voice has you know, just been such a big area of exploration. Uh, and you know, just talking about disease diagnosis, you know, I, I see a lot of potential for voice being a good diagnostic tool. I mean, let's just run through some you know, some possible use cases. You know, we've talked so much about telehealth and how we're still stuck in the telehealth 1.0 stage, the 101 stage, where we're just, you know, replicating the similar in-person counters with telehealth. But a telehealth, you know, setup where, you know, there's a passively listening machine 
looking for biomarkers, so the kinds of you know jitters and shimmers and other things that you were talking about <laughs> earlier, um, you know, and, and and providing that as a meaningful feedback both to the clinician in real time or even asynchronously later on to say that hey, by the way, you know, didn't want us to jump in and and disturb your flow of thought while you were having that encounter. Uh, but here are three or four other things that you should look for. It's almost like you've got a panel of five or six doctors listening to the same call and giving you feedback uh, real time or later on. You know, there's the aspect of triaging calls. You know, if a machine is listening um, for, for, for indicators of, you know, certain diseases or certain areas where, let's say, suddenly we're getting more calls uh, related to cold or sniffles and so on, it could alert downstream systems um, to say that, hey, maybe the infectious disease department should be on alert, or maybe you know the flu season is coming early, and so on. I know it, I'm, uh, I'm, some some kind of uh, biosurveillance, just like an early warning system. Exactly, and you know you had done some work um, on the Twitter analysis many years ago, so it's sort of on that same lines, but an early indicator sort of system. Uh, and back to the triaging calls, where you know it can probably help and alert. Um, say the, I don't know, the, the, the endocrinology team that, you know, we're getting more calls from, um, from people with high diabetes or in you know, high blood sugars and so on. I know it's, in, it's a little sort of fantasy land kind of conversation that we're having, but, you know, that's a realm of possibilities where, that, we, uh, that we think of. And the intent really is that you're looking for, you know, signs uh, and diagnosis when the chief complaint that the patient is calling for could be completely different. Um, and, um, hey, who knows, in the future, just along with, the, you know, with, with your exams that you have at the doctor's office where they measure your weight and your blood pressure, maybe they take a recording of your voice and just keep it for future use and say, you know, compared to your you know, voice from last time, here are two or three things that we've noticed as a difference, and that may lead to something. I don't know. Yeah, I, I kind of like uh, that analogy, and certainly, yeah, without knowing too much more about how accurate and how sensitive, and like, are you are you really going to uh, diagnose a patient based on you know changes in their vocal cord? Like, did they maybe they just went to a party last night and they screamed a little, and now they've got some jitter or shimmer or something like that? But um, and, and maybe it's not actually like a, a new progressive illness. Um, but yeah, just something akin to like a vital sign. It's not going to make or break the diagnosis, but it's a sign to consider and think about and, and maybe tuck away in the back of your head as a clinician and just say like, oh, this is not what I expected. And uh, this merits maybe some further exploration if it continues. Uh, that's, a, that's a good way to conceive of this tech. Yeah. I mean, they, I, I just had my cholesterol test done and they said, don't eat um, 12, 12 hours uh, ahead of uh, <laughs> uh you know the exam so then it'll be like yeah. you know don't yell a lot before yeah. you come to the next exam <laughs> no more no more karaoke before your doctor's visit <laughs> yeah. exactly well i wanted to ask you though about uh, just introducing a, a company like this a technology like this into a clinical workflow or into a uh, you know a healthcare institution's ecosystem um and uh, just how you would you know, go about doing something like that if you thought there was really a lot of promise to the technology and the leadership team of the company? Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways we should do pretty much what we do with other new innovative efforts. 
you know, we should give it oxygen in the, uh, in the metaphorical sense of the way and, uh, and encourage the work. Uh, we should certainly put on our skeptical hats and look for long-term clinical validation, you know, look at the strength of the company, the leadership and so on. But, you know, I do want to sort of step back and sort of start thinking about what is the intent here? You know, these companies are not coming in and trying to replace medical care as it is, um, you know, which is what often happens where we, we, we scrutinize them so much for clinical validation, validation and papers published and IRB approvals and so on that we forget the fact that the intent is really to, you know, use technology or other means to diagnose a larger cohort of patients who may be getting missed by our current um, system of a one-on-one -on -one conversation between doctor and patient. You know, the intent is to help downstream systems to be better prepared, to look for indicators that you would typically not see in a classic one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one -on -one kind of interaction that happens. So, you know, if, if, if we were looking at companies in that area, we should encourage that. We should uh, certainly understand the roadmap of where they're going. We should be more forgiving of the technology and allow it an, an opportunity to mature uh, rather than poo-poo it. And we should, um, you know, try to insert in areas where it's, uh, or insert them in areas where, you know, you're not, you're using this as an aid. I mean, for heaven's sake, we've had, you know, clinical decision support in our EMR systems for years. And, you know, whether you have a love or hate relationship with that, they've been around and they do provide those nudges. But that's based on reading text and other information and lab results. Why can't it be based on, listening to your biomarkers based on voice. Yeah, especially if it's, uh, you know, presented as a decision support tool rather than like, a, here's a medical diagnosis that's being dropped in, in the clinician's lab. Exactly. Um, I think that'll be a lot easier for, for people to accept and uh, work with. Well, that's a, that's a good perspective. Um, I've got to ask, you know, because I always ask about predictions, um, like, uh, so particularly for voice analysis, uh, you know, I remember in the early days of the smartphone era, like, uh, so the prediction, the question is, uh, you know, is this going to become part of our telemedicine practice, you know, in the next few years? Are we going to just have a, uh, in addition to the, the video, the two-way conversation that's happening, is there going to be like some software running in the background that's listening to the patient, comparing it to prior audio samples, or are we even going to just say to the patient, okay, now we're at the part of the encounter where I need you to speak into the microphone and here's the phrase that I want you to say, and I want you to try to hold the vowel, et cetera. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and predict that that is, you know, not coming in the next few years. Uh, I remain very skeptical that uh, telemedicine without significantly more financial incentives, I don't think it's going to be anything more than this, uh, uh, fancy FaceTime kind of uh, conversation uh, and that's going to be there just to facilitate uh, the, the billing uh, requirements. Um, but I'm skeptical in part because I remember in the early days of the smartphone era, there were these apps like uh, Spiro Smart, if you want to Google something, that uh, used the iPhone mic to mimic true spirometry and produce uh, flow volume curves, uh, pulmonary function tests, mimics. Um, and it never took off. It was, it was a cool demonstration. 
Um, it was cheap. It was, uh, you know, affordable. It was scalable. But um, no one really needed smartphones to serve that purpose because there was already great gold standard pulmonary function tests that, that clinicians could use. And, and you could refer a patient to those systems and you didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, whether the, the latest version of the iPhone would break your diagnostic algorithm or something like that. So I, I just I, I just remain a little skeptical about any of these uh, algorithms that, that can do this kind of thing. I, they're just not going to replace the gold standard test anytime uh, in the next few years. I, I think, you know, you may be on to something. Um, I just hope you're wrong <laughs> because, you know, I really hope the industry evolves around this thing because, again, back to my sort of telehealth example, you know, we're just basically taking what exists right now and moving it into a different modality of voice or video calls and so on and are not doing anything, anything to enhance it. And that's just... You know, that, that's that's pretty sad, uh, especially, you know, we're sitting here in the month of November 2020. You know, the pandemic is maybe making us change our lifestyles in crazy different ways and not to use this as, a, as an opportunity to, you know, build upon these kinds of tools that exist. And at least, you know, back to my example of giving it more oxygen, it just it just seems like a lost opportunity. Now, timing is, is, is another factor, you know, and. Uh, as I was, um, you know, thinking more about this, you know, I feel that maybe the the lead or the uh, uh, the direction will perhaps not come from healthcare. It may come from uh, maybe a less regulated industry from a clinical perspective, who will probably experiment with this thing first, like a credit card company or phone companies um, or an analysis of nine one one calls or something like that. And you know, as I was thinking more about it, I started Googling it, and I found this example uh, or this article of AT&T, uh, the phone company, back from 2014, when they talked about listening to customer service calls and um, using machine learning to analyze it for sentiments and so on. And then I dug deeper, and, and I found an article from 2019 where they had actually put this in practice. So keep in mind, it took them five years to get to this stage, back to your timing perspective and the horizons that we're looking at. I mean, here's a multi-billion dollar company, you know, who spent five years sort of perfecting this. But now, you know, while they're a little cagey about what they're doing, but, you know, they're still talking about, you know, nudging the customer service rep in asking the right kind of questions, looking for indicators of, you know, potential problems that could be used to alert downstream systems if there's a hardware issue in certain products or if there's a outage in certain areas, uh-huh. you know, using it to give customer service nudges. So if the customer is talking about certain products or preferences to, to think of upselling them to other products that AT&T might have. And those are amazing things. And you can easily translate them or somewhat easily translate them into a healthcare setting. So I feel the innovation is going to happen there. And, um, and, companies, maybe non-traditional healthcare companies, will try to bring those kind of tools into the healthcare arena and kind of force us or nudge us hard to, to think about them. And so that's where I remain hopeful and optimistic um, about voice yeah. as a biomarker. Yeah, no, that, and I, I love that perspective. And uh, yeah, I think you're right that it, it could end up just being, and then like you said before, like a vital sign or some kind of clinical decision support, like, hey, you know, we've been analyzing this conversation you're having with your patient in the background, and 
it just seems like something's off and here's some some items that we've uncovered uh, you might want to ask about this you might want to refer them for further testing etc um, that is a compelling vision and uh, yeah I don't know uh, how many years off that that might be but uh, but uh, you paint a, a picture of you know how it could be a very reasonable uh, extension of, of some of the services and systems that are in place now. Well, um, that's about all the time we have. So I want to thank uh, Sadipto for another memorable conversation. And uh, we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.